Amen. Well, I want us to uh, consider together uh, the embodiment of the things that we are talking about uh, over the course of the past three weeks. Right? We talked about the idea of a slowed-down spirituality, meaning in a, in a, in a world where the, the busyness and the demands upon us are constant and unrelenting, how do we take a step back? How do we take a step back and say, hey, we, we, we can be successful, we can have ambition, but we're going to do those things and carry those things differently. How do we do that and still maintain a modicum of integrity? Not, not the integrity that says, hey, we, we just keep it all looking good on the outside, but, but how do we aim to integrate into the messiness of our lives this transformational love? And then how do we think about not just surface level transformation, not just like shape up and look right because God's watching and you don't want to take God off, but how do we let the love of Jesus not just be a concept that we talk about, but something that speaks to our motivations, something that speaks to our insecurities, something that addresses and engages our anxieties? How do we do that well in the family of God? That's what we want to consider today as we move to this fourth theme of a healthy and a healing community. A healthy and a healing community. Now, I think even if someone in this room is not a follower of Jesus, got dragged here by someone else, or is begrudgingly watching this or participating in this in some way, I've never met somebody that's said to me like, well, if a church does exist in my community, if it is present in my community, I want it to be just toxically awful. I mean, I, I, I mean they might think that. But their aspiration, their hope, even if they don't aspire to the, the foundational beliefs that may unite us as a community— would be to say, hey, that place on the corner, that place down the street, that place that, that has that, that sign in the front yard or whatever, that, it would, that would hopefully be a place that's helpful and healing to community around us. Right? When we think about healthy and healing community, we want to talk about not just platitudes, but what are we actually saying? Committing space, committing to creating space and learning tools and practices that will help us love each other like we're loved by Jesus. Let me say that again. The commitment to create space and learning tools and practices that will help us love each other like we are loved by Jesus. So already we're attacking the idea that like it's just something we naturally stumble upon. Or naturally happens because a building is built, you know, facing eastward. Or a community doesn't meet in a church building and meets in a house instead. I mean, I mean, any group of people around any group or cause or whatever can be helpful and healing in its approach to community or can be harmful and toxic to the community around it. We were watching the Orioles play on Friday night. It was one of those moments where our family had all converged from different directions and different spaces, and uh, the TV was on, and there was this moment, there was a replay happening, and so there was just a shot, a long-established shot of the dugout. And, and these guys are laughing and talking, and one of them is holding water in his mouth because he's waiting for the replay to, like, go the way he wants to do so he can do, like, a celebratory sprinkle, sprinkler thing that the Orioles are doing right now. And, and, the, and, the, and the announcers are sort of using this moment as a teachable moment to speak to the culture of a thing that they're observing. 
wow, this team's having fun. Wow, there's something special in the, in the climate of this clubhouse that may bode well for the grind of a long season. This is, this is really what we're talking about when we talk about a healthy and healing community. Not perfect, not, not devoid of hard circumstances, but, but a collective willingness to enter a space and contribute to a space that can lead to and help us endure those seasons together. Because here's, here's the reality. And uh, the, the, the reality is that any organization, any group, church or non, that aspires to do this in this moment is going to face an uphill battle. Right, we're, we're seeing, and maybe you paid attention to this week, Dr. Vivek Murphy's uh, report on loneliness. That the, um, that the impact of loneliness on a person is, is not unlike the equivalent of 15 cigarettes a day. And while we're not breathing that into our lungs, as, as is often said in circles talking about trauma, the body is keeping score. And so when we aim to create a safe place for people, or you aim to enter those spaces yourself, one of the things we just have to acknowledge is the impact, despite, ironically, constant connection on a surface level through digital media, the impact of isolation on us. The trouble that we've had, particularly over the past three years with this. I think we have to also consider the polarity of our moment. I think every moment probably feels particularly polarized, but, but we said a couple of weeks ago that 38 million people stopped talking to a family member after the 2016 election. 38 million Americans stopped talking to a family member. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we've had a pandemic in there, masks slash vaccines, polarizing Supreme Court decisions, and January 6th. Oh, and there's an election coming. My suspicion is that since 2016, maybe that number has cycled. Maybe you've come back to the table with somebody. But there's still the churn of like, what is their thought on that? We just live in a moment, and our algorithms help with this, where we live in echo chambers that can make coming into community and sharing diverse point of views a very difficult thing to do. Lastly, why is it an uphill battle? Because you're part of the work. And I'm part of the work. And if your story looks anything like my story, you bring blessings to any circle of people you gather with. Your, your unique perspective on a particular topic, your love of fine coffee or spirits, your, your ability to make particular things or host or be hospitable, but you also bring burdens, right? The way in which uh, a phrase that someone says not to be harmful to you is internalized because of how it was processed in your family of origin, that same very phrase. Or a variety of other ways that just you are imperfect and are carrying around with you the reality of that imperfection. Right? So this is a very uphill battle. So I want to say what I'm about to say here, not with this like Pollyanna-ish like platitude, like we're going to put healthy and healing community on the lobby, which is wildly insufficient for us to all stand in, as you know. And like, 
and we're just going to like talk about how we're going to be a healthy and healing community. No, rather what I want to acknowledge is that in our collective worship, in our love for one another, this is in fact an uphill battle, but it's one worth fighting. And it's one worth pursuing. And it's one that is that's something that, that God is, is calling every group of people who call themselves and surround themselves in the mission of Jesus to take very seriously. Yes, we want churches to be loving and healing places, but how do we embody that? That's what we want to talk about in a few minutes today. And then how do we play a role in it? individually and collectively. First, I would just offer to you that, that, that a healthy community and a healing community is a part of God's way of bringing healing to the world. That if we read the scriptures, one of the ways we see grace, mercy, truth, justice, compassion carried out, physical needs met, spiritual needs met, emotional needs met, is through God using people to do it. Now, I'm as confused about that as you, other than the fact that God is highly relational. I mean, I, if I get to have a cup of coffee with God, I would like to say to God, like, why on earth would you entrust this to me? And then why, I mean, but then also thank you. Because there's a lot of times where I couldn't see you and I couldn't see you working, but I saw and felt your presence through this person or this person. Or this person. And I still would just go, yeah, but I don't get it. But this is something that's core to the mission of Jesus. This is what Jesus talks about, right? When he, when he summarizes 613 Old Testament laws by saying, hey, we can, we, can, we can really break it down this way. The love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's, that's the first thing. And then the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That the way in which a relationship with God in the Old Testament, the holiness of God, the character of God is, is carried out, is lived out, is in the shoulder-to-shoulder relationships of how we love one another. Katie shared this verse earlier from John 13, that all men will know that you're my disciples if you throw really great parties. No. If you have really perfect aligned doctrine and you have nothing wrong, you don't. <sighs> I don't. You don't. No. If you, if you have everything pinned up and all together in your life and you're perfect, no. If you love one another. There's something unique and beautiful about this. The North African church father, Augustine, um, says, One loving heart sets another heart on fire. There's something about how the love of Jesus works and moves in your story and then it impacts mine. But we have to acknowledge, and this is, this is the rub, right? This is the tough part of this, is that works both directions, right? That's like fire where it can like warm your house and make your eggs or burn it all down. <laughs> right? We have to pay attention to the reality that we will be wounded in community we will be healed in community. Sometimes we'll be wounded and healed in community. Stick around the foundry for a little bit, and that probably will be your story too. Right? That, that, like, it's just a reality of, of being in communal spaces, to have densely populated pockets of people made in God's image who are flawed and sinful colliding with one another in life and story. So we have to acknowledge this. This is just a reality, right? Like for, for the platitudes we might bring to the table about community, one of the things we have to admit is that we can do it wrong. 
that we can get it wrong. That there's people in your life right now whose level of toxicity, whose level of just blah that they bring to your life may be kind of pulling you away from helping you walk in the grace and glory of Jesus, right? That, that there's someone in the break room that you just walk in and you're like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Or there's, or there's some facet of community, the patient that you deal with, or something that happens, uh, uh, you know, teachers. It's, the, it's, it's this particular person you always get an email from that may be really toxic if you don't carry that perfectly or well. Um, and, and then how much more so just the idea that, right, a lot of times when we get ourselves into scraps and we get ourselves into some, some nonsense, we're often, not always, but we're often doing it in the presence of some other people, right? There was a high school friend that maybe you just always got in trouble with, right? If there was ever a grounding or a discipline that happened, this person's name was maybe connected to that story. Like you just didn't make good decisions when you were with this person. The Brooklyn Bridge opened in 1883. And when it did, it was twice as long as any other suspension bridge in the Western Hemisphere. And, uh, and so there was a lot of anxiety and fear and distrust around whether or not the Brooklyn Bridge was something that was even a sustainable structure. In fact, P.T. Barnum was asked, the greatest showman, right, was asked to, um, to trot elephants across the Brooklyn Bridge to show and demonstrate to New Yorkers and those watching that see, this is not going to kill you. This is not going to fall apart. It's not going to crumble. If the elephants can do it, uh, you can do it too. Ten days in, ten days in, a woman is traveling across the bridge. I don't know if she's going from Brooklyn to Manhattan or Manhattan to Brooklyn. I did not pick up that particular detail. But as she makes her way across the bridge, she's now beginning to walk down a staircase, having crossed the bridge, when she trips. She screams, reacts, as you might if you stumble downstairs. This creates a chain reaction of panic. By the time it gets to the other side, the word is that the Brooklyn Bridge is collapsing. And a stampede ensues. This is how the New York Times covered it in 1883. In the moment the narrow stairway was choked with human beings, piled on top of one another, who were being crushed to death. In a few minutes, 12 people were killed, seven injured so seriously that their lives are to be despaired of, and 28 others more or less severely wounded. I don't know what that middle phrase with the seven injured whose lives are supposed to be despaired. I don't know what that means. But I know it's bad, right? This, this moment, this, this, this triggering moment, someone's slipping, of course, they're going to scream. You might too. But the level of anxiety and fear in the space is a powder keg in that moment for a really tragic situation. So we have to admit that that, that can be some of the reality as it comes to community around us. But we can also admit that there's a really good part of this too. That Ecclesiastes chapter 4 talks about those who, who are walking with us and, and caring for us and the power of how that, how that works, right? So we've got bad company corrupting good character, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. And then we've got this idea from Ecclesiastes 4 of, of, uh, of people walking with us and carrying, with, carrying us during difficult times and the power of that. And you probably have some stories like that too, don't you? Like where, where you couldn't see the love of God. You couldn't see the love of Jesus as you were reading, interacting with the scriptures, but you could see it. 
on the person that was bringing you a meal or the, or the person that was walking with you through a time where you were doubting or struggling in your faith. Robert Schiller says it this way. He's a Yale economist. He says, you have to realize that your thoughts are not really your own thoughts. They percolate in from, in from other places and from other people. You might love that or not love that. But I think I feel it pretty acutely that, that you can pick up on someone else's anxiety and begin to feel anxious and spun up or, or you can be calmed by the presence of other people. But we have to just understand that that's a reality that we bring into relationships around us but also the reality that we're receiving from the world in which we live. This calls us to the reminder and this is, you know, not shocking to you. This is... This is the healthy and healing community doesn't just happen because we aspire to it as a slogan, because we slap it in the lobby, because we say something like, we want to be a welcoming church and have coffee outside. Like there's something that, that we have to be intentional about if, if we really want the pursuit and circles of community we find ourselves in, right? Whether it's our, it's our neighborhood group or, or something that we're doing here on Sunday morning or even just our approach to our neighbors. That, like, we, we have to bring a level of intentionality that, that it will not just happen, right? The author of Hebrews tells us to let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching, Right? To, to think about how we can breathe courage into the environments that we have. How we can stoke and, and keep the fire, if it's healthy community, contained in an ecosystem that's thriving, that's, 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 that's lending itself to being a healing and healthy place. Esquire magazine did a, uh, a story in March about uh, Irish pubs about why Irish pubs are so good in Ireland and not so good in the United States. And, uh, and you may disagree with that sentiment. You may quite love the Americanized version of Irish pubs. That's okay. Um, they would disagree with you. <laughs> that it is the same or that it's good or that like your four-walled place in, in Baltimore has any semblance of connection to what they have in Ireland. And why? Why is it different? Well, they call it the crack. C-R-A-I-C. I did check that pronunciation multiple times, right? They call it the crack, right? Which is this cultural value of when I come into this pub, there's two things that are happening. Number one, I understand that there's like a shared collective sadness and ethos that I'm going to walk into and participate in. That I'm going to find common ground there, but I'm also responsible not just for my, myself, but like to walk in and try to be a contributing force to others. And we're going to walk in and we're just going to crack at each other the whole time. Wise cracks. And we're just going to cut up and we're going to like, there's just no, there's very little boundary and we're just going for it. There's a contribution there that, that is a different cultural value then maybe how you or I might think about that as Americans, right? We want, in a restaurant, a place to consume a sense of community, to consume good food and drink, but, but we're not really bought into that other side of it until we really, these other consumer factors are like checked off in terms of the box, right? The point of the article was to say 
there's a cultural value that your random spot that's popping up in a suburban strip mall cannot create, even though it has Gaelic phrases and, and, and beautiful, ornate stained glass, perhaps, that it doesn't have that same spirit because we do not embody that same cultural value. And it was a challenge to the reader to consider that and understand. And I think that's really a, a fitting thing for us to consider as a church and as Christian community, right? We want to many times, particularly if we're new to a community, we're kind of coming in and we're looking at this from the lens of like, okay, can this be like a thing that we participate in? And certainly I understand why. You might come at it and look at it that way. But one of the things I think we can all be reminded of, if if something's going to have staying power in our story, it has to move to that place of of shared life, shared living. Hey, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to hear difficult things and hard things, but I understand that like last week I was the one bringing the difficult and the hard things, and so that's important too. Bonhoeffer said this in his book Life Together, which is kind of one of those like classics on Christian community. It's got a lot of mic drops in it, but this is one I think that's really good. It says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. That one's on the notes page because I feel like I have to think about that for like three more days about even what it means. Right? But, but just this idea that it doesn't just happen. It, and it's not as simple as being, well, I'm just not good at community because I'm an introvert. Well, I'm just not good at community because I, don't, I value the depth of relationships, not the width of them. And a million other ways in which we may excuse ourselves from being intentional about community. Lastly, that healthy and healing community create ecosystems for conflict. It's not an absence of conflict, right? Um, I, and, I, and I get it. I, just, I, like, I want something in my life to be easy at some point in time ever, right? Like, you just like, man, I just want... Thanksgiving dinner to be easy this year. I want like going to a sporting event with my family to be easy this year. I would like a youth lacrosse match to not be stressful because of the nonsense that other parents are bringing into the stands or or, or whatever. I want you know we all desire spaces where there's low or no conflict. But hey, look around. It, it's just not going to happen. But what we can do, what we, what we have the capacity to do is, is to create in our own lives and story and in the community that we are forging as a collective an ecosystem for how we do conflict well. In the book Good and Beautiful and Kind, Rich Velodas suggests four rhythms that he sees kind of play out in the New Testament church as far as how they do community together and conflict together, that, that, that confrontation is part of it. Now, maybe not the confrontation that came from your mom, where, you know, everything, whether it was a lost remote or um, something really big that you did wrong, like came in at like a 15 out of 10 on the Richter scale, <laughs> but also not sweep things under the rug for 45 years and then at a funeral start to spill the family secrets, 
that like some level of in-between there about how do we do confrontation in a healthy way to, to be able to talk about the things that are going on in our story, to talk about the things that are bothering us or burdening us, that they didn't also healthy speaking, right? That we choose words that help people around us understand where we are and how we are. And so many times if we don't do confrontation, right, that healthy speaking does come out, but it doesn't come out in a resourceful way. To come to a place of careful listening, where we're listening and hearing one another, not just to react to the thing that they are saying, but to really try to receive how someone else may receive where we are. And then, again, the idea of a shared table. The idea of a shared table, which is not to have, again, platitudes and say, oh, let's, let's just pretend that life is beautiful and perfect, because certainly there are moments and times where you have to draw boundaries or, or take timeouts. There may be some of you who are living in a space where I have to reassess a relationship in light of something that's happened. It, it may not be safe in a particular moment to go back into a situation that may not be good. That's not what we're talking about when we say a shared table, but, 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 but to say, hey, we know that the reality of life together is there's going to be difficult moments and seasons, and in as much as it is available to us, in as much as we are capable, how do we stay in relationship as we talk about difficult topics and hard things, and we walk together well? I, I am painting a picture that is far prettier than the reality of that, that mess, Right? But what we can do as a community and individually is create an ecosystem in our own story where we're doing that well. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, now listen, Paul doesn't like to give a lot of caveats. and Like, like Paul likes to come at you. <laughs> Paul's a confrontational dude. And even Paul's like, okay, if it's possible... <laughs> And as far as it depends on you, which is not, I don't think, Paul's baseline operating system. <laughs> uh, Paul doesn't mind conflict. So Paul's acknowledging something here in a wider section that I think is really important. We can't control what mom says. We can't control the driver on 83. We can't control the level of reasonableness that your boss may or may not have. We cannot control whether or not your neighbor picks up their dog feces. We cannot control whether or not a person having a mental health emergency is, is going to be something that like happens on the corner by your house or not. But we can control the environment and the spirit that we're bringing to any or all of those things, which is the conversation that we're trying to have today, right? To say, hey, in any conflict, there's a role that I play. In any tension, there's a role that I play. And how is God working in, in me, helping me check my default settings, right? If I'm the sweep under the rug person, or I'm the bombastic person, or I'm the speak first, think later person, how I might contribute to a healthy and healing community. Amanda Ripley wrote a book called High Conflict that is the best book I've read this year. Um, Amanda Ripley's book, High Conflict, um, she talks about how our own state of like heightenedness, right? This goes back to Romans 12, as much as it depends on you, right? And if your baseline is like, man, I am always at a 15 out of 10 in terms of my rage and my anger and my anxiety, then it's, then it's probably not shocking 
that we struggle to do conflict well in the family of Jesus. And so she gives these 12 questions, and I'll use this as an exercise to, to not make you feel guilty or bad, but to maybe just start, begin to stoke and identify in us an operating system that, that we can invite the love of God into. Okay, so, so whether you're thinking about just a general state of angst that you might feel, like you've got an inner 16-year-old that's just walking with you today, or a specific conflict you're facing, let, let, here's, here's 12 things she puts in her book in the appendix to help us notice high conflict in ourself. You can keep a little tablet or score in your pocket or in your mind if you'd like. Do you lose sleep when you think about the conflict? Do you feel good when something bad happens to the other side, even if it doesn't benefit you? If the other side did something you agree with, would it feel uncomfortable to acknowledge this out loud? Does it feel like the other side is brainwashed beyond the reach of moral reasoning? Do you feel like your brain is stuck, ruminating on the same grievances over and over with no new insights? When you talk about the conflict with people who agree with you, do you say the same things over and over, and even after you've stopped talking, leave the conversation feeling worse? Has someone you know very well told you they don't recognize you anymore? Do you find yourself defending your side by saying the other side does the same thing or worse? Do you see people on the other side as interchangeable? If conflict is with one person... Can you picture them as a small child? In other words, can you see them as human? Do you use words like always, never, us, them, good, bad? Do you remember the last time you had a genuine curiosity about the other person's point of view? And Ripley says that if you answered yes five or more times in that exchange, you might find yourself in a heightened place of high conflict. And the goal this morning is not to be like, well, fix it. But to say, how could, how could we invite the love of Jesus into that space? How could we invite the love of Jesus into that space? To find comfort, to find challenge, to find help, to find healing. We want to leave space in communion today to be reminded that the goal is not just to take that list and feel terrible about yourself, but to say where we have wounded or where we have been wounded, how do we invite the love of God into that midst? With the presence of Jesus, with the sacrificial love and mercy of Jesus, meeting us walking with us, stirring us, and helping us to do that well. So there's four stations in the room, and I think an action step for some of us may just be to rest in that before we jump to the ten things that we've got to do about it. And others of us, maybe there is an action step that like comes to mind, or like, man, I got, I, before I even take communion, i got to send this text, or i got to send this, I, I don't know what it is for you. But my invitation to you this morning is to invite the love of Jesus into that space so that we may not just enjoy the community that's happening and spinning around us, but so that we might also be a vital part in the, in the ministry of reconciliation that God is bringing into this world and space around us.
God, thank you that as we come to the table and as we scatter around the room, we can receive it not because we have done everything right, but because you are willing to help us make things right in our own heart and story to carry the heaviness of our lives properly, but, but also to walk well. This is so messy, and this is so hard. Thank you, God, that messy and hard is not too scary for you. We celebrate that and receive that in communion as a collective. In the name of Jesus, our hope.